Hey, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12, um, starting in verse 1. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. And if you're uh, of the trio of visitors back there, I just want to let you know that we have worked through uh, uh, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, and here we are today in chapter 12, verse 1, and that's kind of how we do it in here. We work uh, expositionally through books of the Bible, typically. So here we are in uh, chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 1. And this is God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm constantly struggling with uh, getting my fat uh, pastoral body into the gym and all that, but uh, so I get in there and I try to do the bicycle and then I try to get on there and I do the elliptical. And the elliptical is always a challenge because when you get on it, um, you know, it's your own body weight. And if your own body weight is up, it's even harder. And so you get on there and you're doing this thing and it's involving your whole body. And, um, and so you kind of get going on it. You get situated and you're like, all right, all right, I can do this. I can do this. And then you make the mistake of looking at the clock. So you get going and you're like, okay, all right. I can do this. I can go 30 minutes on this thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do 30 minutes. And uh, you're already kind of feeling it, and you're already, it's, it's setting in that you would like to quit. And I, you look at the clock, and it's three minutes and 47 seconds. Uh, have you, you know what I'm talking about? Yes? I mean, man, it is just... But ladies and gentlemen, the Christian life feels that, like that sometimes, doesn't it? Where you're digging in, and you're, you're poking along, and you're like, whoa, whoa, this is a, this is a long, hard race. This isn't just a simple little... Uh, uh, problem-free life, uh, nor was it ever promised to you as a Christian, but it, it's, it's tough. And one of the things that this passage tells us, ladies and gentlemen, is that Jesus knows how hard this Christian life is. He knows how hard it is more than anybody else who ever lived because he did it perfectly. He did it sinlessly. He did it uh, never giving into temptation. You ever withheld from temptation? You have done that? It's hard, isn't it? You're tempted to do something and you don't reach in the cookie jar and you don't reach in the cookie jar, and you don't open the refrigerator, or whatever your sin propensity is, you withhold. It's hard to withhold. How, how about withholding an entire human life perfectly with a focus on God and a reliance upon the Holy Spirit? That's what Jesus did. He knows how hard this Christian life is. He sees you on the elliptical, and he sees you with uh, personal nagging sin problems. He sees you. He sees you with fractured family relationships. He sees that. He understands that. He, um, he understands that there's this sense that we all have that this is a long race. It's not just a little sprint. It's a long race. Uh, you can make tragic mistakes early in life, and guess what? You're not dead yet. And you can make tragic mistakes 20 years later, and guess what? You're still not dead yet. You're still living this Christian life. It's a difficult uh, journey. We're sojourning in uh, the Lord Jesus knows that, and all of that can be discouraging, and that the pastor of the, the writer of the, the book of he, Hebrews understands his flock and knows that they're under 
pressures, and he wants them to be encouraged, and God wants you to be encouraged too. Thus this. All right, let's look at the main idea from here today, and I think it may surprise you a little bit. The church is a necessary means of God, God's grace. And it may surprise you that I would whittle down the main idea of this passage to that. Um, you know, I, t- I talk about all this stuff about encouragement and the Lord seeing your struggles and all that stuff, and then I, I give you a, a total buzzkill, and I start talking about the church. You go, what is this? I thought I was going to be encouraged. Uh, why would you do that? And plus, you look at some of the themes in here. You know, you've got, um, oh my goodness, this, this race that we're running, uh, Jesus, the, the, the author and perfecter of our faith, the founder and perfecter. I mean, that's a famous verse. And, and oh, you got this cloud of witnesses. What do we do with that? What is that exactly? I mean, there are a lot of things we can talk about here. You've got uh, Jesus who, um, he endures the cross, despising the shame. He does it for the joy. Um, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, all these giant, awesome, colossal things that could be said about this passage. And yet I whittle the thing down to the church as a necessary means of grace. Now, why would I do that? I'm doing that. I'm making an emphasis on that because I think the Bible does too, and I think it does it here. Um, There's been uh, a lot of thick theological discourse beforehand uh, from chapter 1 all the way through the end of chapter 11, and um, really what's happening now is the, the book of Hebrews is pivoting toward the end. All right, so chapter 12 to the end. It's pivoting toward the end, and it is moving into real life application. Um, and the church is a big part of it. When it comes to applying it directly uh, to your life, it's never out of the context of the church. Never. You cannot be spiritually healthy out of the context of the church. It is impossible for you to be healthy out of the context of the church. Um, even if you were a POW, there's still a, a context of being involved in the kingdom, of people who have been rescued by God. I will be their God they will be their people. In fact, it even says here that there's a cloud of witnesses. And guess what? You're a witness too. All right, it's all done in the context of the church. All right, well, let's go to the passage here in our first sermon point, which is remove anything that entangles. Look at verse one. It says, therefore, you can see that it's hooked uh, immediately to the, the, the list of men and women who are uh, in chapter 11. Okay, so there's been this list of those who have been faithful. Uh, they have been uh, redemptive examples for us. Um, and then it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so it's obviously referencing that list of people, and uh, not just that list of people, but that the, a list of, as we were talking about last week, it's not so much those particular names as it is names that, that the author has selected to say um, that this is a big redemptive batch of people. Uh, that we can look toward, uh, who had to look forward to future things. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, let's talk about that. What of these witnesses? You've probably heard growing up, well, preacher told me in my, in my church that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a big um, amphitheater up in heaven, and Moses and Noah and your granny are all up in that amphitheater and they're watching you run your race like Anakin Skywalker and they're eating barbecued nachos and, uh, and they're like, yay, you can do it. Uh. You probably heard that preached. Many times you probably heard that preached. In fact, John Owen says something uh, that sounds kind of like that, but he doesn't really mean that. Um, that, that there's a big cloud of witnesses. Where does, this, where does this idea that there's a stadium in the sky come from? Well, the word cloud is in there. So people go, well, 
it, the cloud, you know, streaming, cloud computing, uh, clouds are in the sky. So this is obviously talking about clouds in the sky. And it doesn't necessarily have to talk about things in the sky. It could be speaking figuratively. And I'll give you another example. You know, people get all worked up about, they see the word something like, oh, I could give you a million examples, but yeast comes to mind. Somebody go, yeast, the yeast of the Pharisees. So anytime you hear the word yeast, it's like, oh, yeast is bad. Yeast is horrible. Oh, yeast is just ter- this terrible thing. Well, just because a word shows up here and a word shows up here doesn't necessarily mean that they're glued together and that you have to piece some uh, little puzzle together. Uh, the same thing with the word cloud. By the way, yeast could be used as a positive example. Um, I could use it as an illustration. Let's say we're, uh, we're preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm talking about Jesus talking about us being salt and light in the world. I could say, ladies and gentlemen, uh, on the occasion that I make some bread, I got a good illustration for you, because when you put some yeast in the bread, it uh, spreads throughout the whole loaf, and the whole loaf rises. That's kind of like being salt and light in the world. I could use it as a positive example, couldn't I? It would be a good illustration, I think. So it's not like yeast, bad, oh, cloud, up. Um, we don't have to do that. We don't have to think that there's some kind of coliseum in the sky where everybody's looking at us. Um, and we have to ask, what is the function of a witness? We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, does that mean, ladies and gentlemen, that they are witnessing us? Or does it mean that they are a witness to us? It can be, mean both those things, can it? Can't it? And that they're a witness to us. Well, I would say primarily that's the idea here, that they are a witness to us. That's what he's been talking about. He's going, hey, um, Abel offered an offering to God that was more acceptable. Um, Enoch walked with God. Noah uh, heeded God's warning and uh, was rescued by God. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, Moses leaves the comforts of uh, Egypt and submits himself to service to God. I mean, all these things kind of spill out. And they're a witness to us. They're an example to us. We're told to look to them and, uh, and see this example. And so I really think the main thrust is that they are um, a witness to us. Um, I think that's what's intended by the author. Otherwise, it's not much different than, you know, Romans watching Christians do a little race down there, only the outcome's bad. Um, so um, I got one other thing for you. Um, when uh, you'll, you'll hear people say things like this, when you get to heaven, all your questions will be answered. Is that true? No, that's not true. Uh, number one, God is under no obligation to answer all your questions. He's God. He knows everything. He's omniscience, omniscient, right? He's, he's under no obligation to answer all your questions. Now, listen, he's a heavenly father, and I'm sure he would, he would enjoy the company of his children saying, hey, why this? And what does this mean? And uh, what about Hebrews 8? I mean, Romans 8. And what about all these things? And what does this mean? And what about baptism? What's, what was, you know, we're going to be in heaven and go, oh, that. You mean I was teaching that wrong for all those years? Wow. Um, we're going to have all kinds of answers, but God's under no obligation to answer all of our questions. And I'll tell you this. Um, by God's own um, person, by his own excellent attributes, not every question can be answered. You know why? Because of God's eternality, because of God's infinity. He is love, right? The Bible says God is love. That's true. But God is infinite 
in his love. He's infinite in his perfections. He's unchanging, immutable in his perfections. And so, ladies and gentlemen, God is love. And you go be with him in glory, and he reveals his love. And you go, wow, I'm in awe of that. Let me worship. And he reveals his love. Wow, I'm in awe of that. Let me worship. He reveals his love. Wow, I'm so joyfully in awe of that. That's amazing, God. You're so wonderful. And he reveals himself more and more and more and forever, infinitely. He infinitely, and so your questions are never fully answered with this infinite God. It is impossible, all right? All to say, um, you know, but you know, it's kind of like uh, the movie Truman. Uh, you remember Jim Carrey and they filmed it down in Destin and all that stuff and they used, uh, what is that? What is that called? Seaside. Um, and you remember he's on the water and he's, he's in the boat and finally the boat hits the, hits the sky, he hits the horizon, he gets to the end of the water. That never happens with God. You never totally figure him out. And so God is under no obligation to answer all your questions, though he will be, I'm sure, glad to answer many. Um, but he, he, you don't suddenly gain incommunicable attributes. You don't suddenly go to heaven and, wow, now I am omniscient. Um, and I'll tell you this too. I, I, I tell you this with the tenderest intentions. Um, neither do you gain omnipresence, another incommunicable attribute. I mean, I'm sorry to say, but your granny is not floating around the Thanksgiving table while you're cutting into the turkey, like Casper. Um, A person doesn't gain incommunicable attributes and is all of a sudden able to be everywhere present. It's not so. So there's a more profound thing, ladies and gentlemen, a more comforting thing, I think, that um, it's, it's truthful, And here it is. The saints who have gone before us, ladies and gentlemen, await you. They await you. And when you cross over from this life to that life, they will be full of joy. All of heaven rejoices when a person is saved. All of heaven rejoices when a person comes home. Uh, Those who have gone before you joyfully await you and will joyfully receive you. Isn't that a heart's comfort? rather than making up things like they're floating around the room and that your, your lacrosse game and everything, they await you. All right. Um, th- that's enfolded in the idea of today, too. The church is necessarily a means of God's grace. We're all in it together, and we all rejoice together. But moving along, let's look at the passage. You've got this um, cloud of witnesses. By the way, um, they witness to us. They await us. But there's this cloud of witnesses here too, right? This room is a cloud of witnesses, right? The people around you, cloud of witnesses. Your children are, are, are part of this uh, also. Uh, and so continuing on, it says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. That, that, that idea of laying aside every weight um, is, uh, here, here's what the NIV says, throw off every weight that hinders, all right? It's hard to run with a big, heavy backpack. So take off the big, heavy backpack. Oh, by the way, you're on the wrestling team and you're in the, uh, you know, the you know, 125-pound 100, you know, weight class, well, then you have to cut weight. You try to get it off. Um, you try to lean up. That's what it's saying. Throw off everything that slows. Um, here's another. The, oh, yeah, strip off every weight that slows. That's New Living Translation. Here's another one for you. Throw off every encumbrance. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Throw off every encumbrance, uh, anything that slows you down. And then the next thing it says is, um, um, let us run, uh, where is it? Uh, yeah, um, and sin which clings so closely. Um, 
you, you know, folks, um, it, it, uh, let us lay aside every weight and sin that's, that clings so closely. Um, some of your Bible translations have the word entangles. Um, you know, it entangles your feet. Anything that entangles your feet, throw it off. Um, um, yeah, in the ESV, every sin which clings so closely. Um, you know, uh, in, in Seinfeld, George Costanza, if you're Seinfeld fans, you know, he's at a fancy party and uh, he comes out of the bathroom and he for, for, he's not wearing a shirt. And everybody sees this bare-chested uh, George Costanza and, uh, and it's, it's gross and everyone's freaked out at this fancy party. And, and the reason he doesn't have a shirt on, is anybody remember why? Because when he goes to the bathroom, no obstructions. He wants no obstructions. So this is his habit at the house or in the office or whatever. Uh, No obstructions. And he's at this fancy dinner party and he takes his shirt off and forgets to put it on. No obstructions. All to say, we're supposed to take away anything that obstructs us. Uh, anything that uh, anything that slows us down, that that trips up our feet. Um, what is it that entangles? Don't you like that uh, sin that clings so closely? Anything that entangles. Um, what is it that entangles, ladies and gentlemen? What is it? It is sin. Sin entangles. Now, an application for you, ladies and gentlemen, um, on this point, um, in a sense, uh, but not necessarily a literal one. The saints who have gone before you still speak. It's kind of like what it says about Abel. It says um, in verse 4 of chapter 11, it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteousness, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And listen, and through Abel's faith, though he died, he still speaks. It's kind of like Psalm 19. Um, oh, the, 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 the stars up in heaven, um, all of creation, the cosmos, they don't, have a, they don't have vocal cords, but they sure speak. And that's kind of the point, ladies and gentlemen. The saints who have gone before you still speak. The saints before us are witnesses who through the Holy Spirit's authorship are still sources of redemptive hope for us. And, and there's a sense where our straining is known. Uh, the saints before us uh, understand it. And concerning being, being entangled, I think an application for you is to, is to ask this question, is for me to ask this question to myself. Does blank hinder or help? Does blank entangle me or equip me? Isn't that a good question to ask your soul? It's good to talk to your soul. Hey, uh, soul, I'm about to engage in such and such an activity, or I'm about to embark on such and such an opportunity. Is this going to hinder me and slow me down, or is this going to uh, bless me and make me more healthy? And uh, that, that plays into all kinds of things, ladies and gentlemen. And I'll tell you what, one of the barometers is the church. If it pulls you away, if it makes you more distant with, with fellowship with the people of God and with collected, gathered worship with the people of God, if it pulls you from that, if you feel a resistance toward that in your heart, that is not health. It's not health. So ask yourself, does blank hinder me or help me? Does it, does it put distance between me and accountability with God's people, accountability? Uh, or is it a help?
anything that slows down is to be discarded because it entangles and is not good for you. All right, second point. Remember, it's a long run. Uh, in verse 1, it continues. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, it continues. It says, um, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, that it's, uh, that it's uh, a race of endurance uh, uh, and it's set before us, uh, um, there's a, there are a few points here. And I think they all have immediate bearing on your life on Monday morning. Um, here's the first one. We are to run. Um, waiting on God uh, and praying are bedrocks of the Christian faith. We must do that. We must wait on God, ask what he has in store for us, and so on. But ladies and gentlemen, um, we have never been called to sit there like idiots. Never. We've never been called to just sit there and go, well, I guess I'll do nothing. Uh, in fact, there's a good book by Kevin DeYoung called Just Do Something. It's not a bad read, by the way. If you're ever like, should I take that job in Seattle or not? Go get do, Just Do Something. Uh, it's a very good, very good um, sane book on how to move forward prayerfully. Uh, highly recommend it. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Christian life is a life of action. It's a life of participation. It's a life of contemplation. It's a life of veneration, yes, but those things are never divorced of a love for God and a striving for holy things and an urgency when it comes to the working out of our own salvation. Uh, We are to run, all right? Um, The second thing that we see in this, uh, along with running, is the next little item is that it's it's a race of endurance. It is, by definition, this Christian life, a long haul. It's a long race. It's not just a little Christian sprint where we kind of get excited about holy things and then it's over. Uh, It's a long haul. And I'll tell you what, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know that there are challenges about being a Christian for a long time. A blessing, lots of blessings about being a Christian for a long time, but lots of challenges too. Because when you're a new Christian, gosh, you're on fire. And you're on the edge of your seat and you listen to that sermon and the preacher tells the story and it's a new story. You've never heard it before. Well, when you've been a Christian 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, you're like, oh, that old thing again? He's bringing that story out again? I've heard that before. Oh, all this terminology, I'm I'm really familiar with it. Oh, I even took a course on such and such, and I read some books, and and I heard somebody, I even taught through this chapter, (coughs) and now I'm hearing you do it, and it just becomes very familiar. We must not uh, succumb to um, complacency or boredom. It's a long race, ladies and gentlemen. Um, You ever seen a, (coughs) excuse me, Someone who's done a uh, marathon or a triathlon or an Ironman, they just don't go, hey, here's an Ironman Tuesday. I think I'm going to join. You know, <laughs> you just don't do that. I mean, you have, to, you have to think about it and plan and train your body and be very deliberate. And you have to go there and you have to have equipment and you have to have goo and all the other, all the other stuff you're supposed to have. Um, it's, it's, a very, it's very deliberate. And, and ladies and gentlemen, the Christian life is a long run too. It's very deliberate. We're supposed to be very much like people who train for races. And we've all seen people do that. It's tough. It's a long race. It, it's not a sprint. It's not a vehicle for um, the instant gratification of Amazon, this Christian life. It's a long haul. So we're to run, we're to engage, and we're to realize that it's a long race. And that means, ladies and gentlemen, the, the last thing here Um, that the race is set before us. That means that the race is set before us, that there's a map, that it's been planned out. The race has a course. Guess who's planned it? God's planned it. God's got a course 
for you to run. And it's just like at the end of, well, Ephesians 2, 10, it talks about God having works uh, planned out, laid out in advance for us uh, to accomplish. God's got plans for us. And that is uh, both comforting and conflicting. It's conflicting uh, that, that God's planned the race out because we know that if God's really sovereign, that everything has ultimately passed through his hands. That's, that can be conflicting. But it's also comforting because God is eternally, infinitely good. And uh, God is eternally, infinitely wise. He's eternally, infinitely, unchangingly loving. And in his dealings with us, he operates via promises. He's promised to work all things together for our good. Uh, so that's where it's, that's, it's totally comforting. Now, um, let's move on to our last point. Uh, sharpen your focus on the victor. Um, look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's talk about that for a second. Founder and perfecter. Um, most of you have grown up, if you have grew up in the church, you think author and perfecter of our faith. Author, that's a good word. Um, uh, that word founder, author, you've heard me talk about this before. The idea is that of a forerunner of a pioneer, of a trailblazer, of a pathfinder, something that goes through the thick brush with a machete and cuts a path. Somebody that goes where no one's gone before and they take the four-wheel drive vehicle and they bust through it. That's, that's what that's talking about. You know, I read a book um, some years ago by Annie Dillard called The Living. And um, it, was, it was a story, a multi-generational story of the first people to leave the East Coast travel all the way across uh, the United States with covered wagons and horses and stuff and all their families and possessions, people dying on the way and all that stuff, and they get out to Seattle. And uh, they've got to make a way. And they show up out in the upper, you know, north, what is it, west, and um, they're cutting down trees that are as wide around as this section of chairs. And it takes them three months to cut down one tree. Uh, in fact, they would make a cut here. They finally figured it out. They made a cut here, they made a cut here, and then they build a fire. <laughs> and uh, they just keep the fire burning, and in about three months, it would finally go through or the tree would fell. But then they got to disassemble it. That was just, just to make an area big enough to stick a cabin. Uh, but they were the first ones to go there, and they, they had all these wild experiences in their, this, this rough wilderness, and, and uh, they had to clear the way. But they were the pioneers. That's what it's saying about Jesus, that he's the pioneer. He's the one who went where no one had gone before. He accomplished what no one else could accomplish. And then the other word here, that he's the, um, the uh, founder, the author, the pioneer, the forerunner, the trailblazer, and perfecter of our faith. The idea of that as being a perfecter of our faith is that he's the supreme, perfect example. Remember, he rejoiced in doing the Father's will. He operated in the power of the Holy Spirit. He, was, uh, he fulfilled all righteousness. He, he wasn't defeated by death. He conquered it. Um, he's the perfecter of our faith. You know, application for your life. We're almost done. Uh, Growing up in Chicago, I was born in Chicago, but I lived in the suburbs, the the northwest suburbs. And my friend Keith Bauman and I uh, would climb a cottonwood tree in his backyard. And if we got high enough and the weather was clear enough, we could just see the top of the Sears Tower and the John Hancock building. Um, And uh, so we we were about 30 minutes out of the city. 
But uh, so up, growing up north, uh, it was cold. You know, winters were, were groovy back then. They weren't like now. They were like tougher and snowier and windier and all that. And uh, my brother and sister and I all had ice skates. Hard to believe, I know. Um, we all had hockey sticks. And uh, we would all go to ice rinks in the winter time with youth group and stuff like that. And, and, um, and uh, the, the, the thing in our backyard would freeze. And uh, sometimes we'd go to the, the uh, golf course and the water would freeze over. And, but, uh, you know, when you get to, you get to some frozen over water, uh, there's always one guy who goes out first. And uh, everyone else is watching him to see if he goes through. If he doesn't go through and the ice doesn't crack, you know, you just try to send a fat one out there. And... Um, if he doesn't crack through, uh, then it's safe for the rest of you. That's the idea, ladies and gentlemen. We can look at our resurrected Lord and say, Christ went before me. Christ wasn't defeated by death. He defeated it. He's living. He's active. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That means he's he sat down. His work is finished. When he said it is finished, it's finished. And guess what? It's finished. He's seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father, holding kingly session because there is a kingdom and there are subjects. That, that, that's someone we can look to, ladies and gentlemen. I think that's much more encouraging than an imaginary stadium in the sky, uh, but rather that the people of God are known by this God, by this Savior. Um, now, back to the church, ladies and gentlemen. Just as you would give a kidney to your sister if she needed it, wouldn't you? I mean, your sister, your blood sister calls you, your blood brother calls you, your mom calls you. In fact, we had a drummer uh, who played with us in senior high. Um, He's from another church. He just came in to help us. He played in senior high uh, last Wednesday night. He gave a kidney to his dad about a year ago. Really beautiful thing. Oh, hey, we got some people. We have some kidney people in here, don't we? Oh, there they are. Yay, yay. And they're here with their... They, you share one kidney? Is that it? I know. I'm kidding you. I always say that. I always say that Garrett share one kidney. But... Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, of course she's going to give her kidney to her husband who needs it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, that, that's very much a, a picture of the Christian church. Um, we need each other. The Christian church is a means of grace, and we see it in the saints who have gone before us, and we see it in the saints around us. We see it in the saints who are older than us. We see it in the saints who are younger than us. We have to have each other. Um, Jesus is the boss of the church. He's also the inventor of it, um, an important means of grace. Um, So uh, just remember, just as you'd give a kidney to a sister, you are intimately connected to the body of people uh, who are also saved by the blood of the Lamb. More about that next week. Let us pray. Father, um, we come before you and we thank you so much that um, you have um, forged for yourself a people. That's been your covenantal promise is that you would be our God and we would be your people. Uh, A person, yes, but a people. That's your intent. And um, we need each other. Um, You have uh, ordained that we should have one another and that, that we should think in the context of the church in all things. So, Lord, help us. Help us with the sin that so easily entangles. Help us shed the weight that slows us down. Help us this week, Lord, in the power of the Spirit. I beg you for me, and I beg you for these people, that we could fill in the blank. Does this blank, does this hinder me 
or does this make me more accountable? Does this draw me closer to the fellowship of God's people? Does this put me in greater harmony with God's will? Would you make that so, Lord? We need you, and uh, we thank you for your word and your helps. In the power of the Spirit.